0: Hi everyone, and welcome back, or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. I'm Tom Ford, and as you probably know by now, I believe that success in our inner world leads to success in our outer world. And what I mean by that is, if we learn to better understand ourselves and the reason why we do things, then I think we're far better equipped to go out and strive and aim and try to achieve in the outer world. And I think the best way of doing that is asking ourselves better questions. For example, why am I really doing this? What is actually important to me? And what do I really value? And I think when we begin to sit with those questions and explore the answers, I think that helps us to realize that success is something that can be achieved on a daily basis, rather than dependent on external sources or results. And I think what that does is it just creates a bit more space to enjoy the path, to experience it more deeply. And consequently, I believe that success just follows as a byproduct of that on the external form because you're working from such a higher place. And that's really what gave me the desire to start this podcast was to greater understand this inner world, the inner dynamics of some of the people that are achieving great things in the outer world and particularly in the squash world. From players at all different stages of their careers and coaches too, and hopefully to gain a slightly more balanced perspective on the many different paths and the many different ways that one can achieve success on an internal and external level. In today's episode we have Fiona Gives. Now for those of you that don't know Fi, she's been at the top level of professional squash from a playing perspective and from a coaching perspective. She's been as high as world number five and stayed in the top 20 in the world for over 20 years. She's also coached for England squash at the top level and was based in New York for four years coaching there too. So she knows a thing or two about squash. Um, In this conversation, we talk about both sides of those and also how they complement each other. From her playing perspective, we talk about the benefit of, of rivalry and her thoughts on that. Uh, her most challenging moments, and she also shares uh, an incredible story about how she made the semi-finals of the World Championships under uh, what would normally be considered rather challenging circumstances. But what this conversation for me is really about, and and what I really love about it is, it's about being who you truly are, and that manifests in in quite a few different ways in this conversation. But uh, I think it really stems from being comfortable with who you truly are as a person in everyday life and the huge benefit that that has not only on your life but on the craft that you're working on as well. So um, I would really encourage you to, to listen to Fee in the way that she um, articulates herself throughout the whole conversation and maybe see if you can ask or answer some questions that are related to this conversation, so you can be more authentic and more who you truly are. So, without giving too much away, here's the conversation with Fiona Gives. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome back, or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. I'm Tom Ford, and my guest today is Fiona Gives. Fee is a former national champion and Commonwealth Games bronze medalist in the women's and the mixed doubles. She's the former world number five and was in the top 20 in the world for 19 years in a row. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Well, now you've just said that. Somebody actually mentioned it to me at the club the other day, and I just thought I was exaggerating that, but um, if that's true... Maybe I haven't thought uh, sort of highly enough of myself, but I didn't realise it was that long, so um, maybe I'll Google it and check it.
0: Yeah, that, that's unbelievable because for me, it not only stands out that it's an incredible length of time, not only to have a career for, but also it, it implies to me that there were no kind of real injuries or prolonged periods of stopping. Was that, was that the case?
1: Um, a little bit. I think I did have a few little ones that, you know, as you know, all squash players have. I The biggest one I had took me out for six months. And okay. there was a point with that where I was thinking, this could be it. Um, ended up seeing three different people, and eventually those three types of, um, sort of physio ended up working. But it was, it was a bit touch and go. Um, mm. but luckily, I've, you know, I've been lucky with my body, I've looked after it as well as I could. Mm. And that's what kept me up there for as long as it, you know, as I did.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, really, because particularly in a time where I sort of envisioned there to be a lot less information about how to look after your body and I guess the right and wrong things to do. uh, Do you want to just maybe talk about your approach to, you know, how you went about being professional and, and was sort of your body maintenance, as you said, something that you thought a lot about or explored a lot yourself?
1: And um, I think, you know, as you said, you're right at the beginning, there was hardly any of that. You know, I'd go to squads and it was just the sort of old school training, um, old school stretching. And you sort of did what was you thought right at the time. And some of those things obviously did work for me. Um, and, you know, eventually, as I got into the England setup, you got a lot more. But that, you know, I had a plenty of years where it was all on my own or just people within sort of fitness that helped me a bit. I had a great guy at Riverside who helped train me. Um, so I did a lot of gym work and I, I honestly for me personally I did three a week if I wasn't going to tournament. I honestly think that really did stop me from getting any really horrific injuries. Mm. Um, it just built everything up strengthened everything and I know right now that is a big part of everybody every um, professional sports person's makeup um I loved it in the gym Mm. so I've got to look at that and go maybe I was a bit lucky as well that that did do me so much good but Mm. it was a part of the training I probably liked the most
0: and was that was that sort of abnormal or not abnormal but was it uncommon with other players as well or was that something that you kind of very much explored yourself because you enjoyed it
1: um yeah I think a bit of both I think back then I think a lot of people did sort of find things that they liked doing better I wasn't a particularly keen on when I was younger the real hardcore pressure sessions. I didn't like them. I sort of um shied away from them a little bit. And and again, look looking back on what you just said then, maybe that was good. Maybe mm. not being pushed that hard um when I was younger and the body wasn't ready for it was a good thing. Mentally I wasn't ready for it. Mm. Um so, you know, maybe again that worked in my favour. Um but yeah Doing 20 sets of 20 courts rinse wasn't in my <laughs> mentality. And maybe if I was, maybe I would have got higher than five because I do think that some of the other girls that were up there with me had were fitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I can honestly say, yes, I was fit, I was strong. Could I have been fitter? Yes. And that might have taken me to to, you know, the top.
0: What was your was your game reflective of that in a sense that you played in a way that you didn't have to rely on fitness like other players, and I, I'm always interested by that sort of um, argument or thought. Is that do you think if you had have done those extra sessions, would it have maybe taken away some of the fun or the the spark that you know that you brought to the game in the way that you did?
1: Definitely, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Because I remember. Um, one particular summer, I probably trained harder than I'd ever trained, mm. and I came back to my first tournament, and I was absolutely shocking because I was suddenly trying to play um, like somebody that was really, really fit. So I suddenly mm. lost all my um, sort of creativity at the front and my lifting and slowing the game down, and you know that that style of play that I, I did then stay with, the girls hated. And they, they would tell me that, you know, hate your nasty little cross-court drops. And, you know, a lot of my stuff was to the front. A lot of it was up in the air with the lob. I loved the lob. Um, and with what you're saying there is so spot on because I'm like, why do I want to have a long, grueling rally when I can finish mm. it off quite quickly? Mm. Um, and that's what I try and teach some of the kids and the people I'm coaching. You know, at the end of the day, are you playing because you want to get fit or are you playing because you want to win? So if you want to win, and an opportunity is there to put the the punch in, sort of end of rally shot in, do it. You know that's that was that was the, I guess, the thought process of I was in a rally. When can I take this person out, or when can I really put the pressure on? I didn't I didn't want to go up and down the walls very much. I had to bring that into my game because mm. I did have a bit of a love affair with the front of the court. <laughs> so. Getting that balance right was the key. Mm. And having a whole year working with um, Ramat Khan, um, who was with Jangir at the time, they did a lot of length-based stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that got ingrained into me. And I needed that as a balance to make the front of the court work for me as well as it mm. did.
0: Yeah, totally. And, it, and it's also not kind of detracting from the point that, you know, these physical sessions are important too. It's just the, the I guess, the volume or the balance with which you have your rest and and hard sessions or the sessions where you, as you said, it was weights for you that that helped make you feel good physically. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of the time the physical sessions, although they're very good for your physical fitness, uh, are as much mental sessions as anything else. And if, from what I'm hearing from you, and and it's the same for me, is if you like to be creative and, and have fun on court and having fun allows you to be creative if you're really tired and you've been over-training, you're not going to have access to that. So um, I think it's it's important to maybe just bring some awareness to you know, what type of player are you, what type of player do you want to be, and then and, and also what type of person are you, you know, in relation to what, what gives you energy. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. As
1: I got older, though, and maybe I got my head around it more, I did eventually start doing pressure sessions. Mm. Um, but again, I didn't go mad with them because once I got more mature and i realized how beneficial they were i actually felt better for doing one Mm. or two a week dave morris was the one towards the end of my career that would do that to me and i'd be on the floor afterwards but (laughs) but you know i was a lot older by the time i got to do those Mm. sort of sessions um and so i think you're right as well you you know look at the youngsters coming through today and they all look at all the squash on the tv which is you know publicity now is great with what's coming across on the on the television but you know they'll all have their player that they admire and and they want to be like Mm. and you know as a coach now I'm making sure that I I let them try and express themselves you know what sort of player do you want to play like Mm. are they capable of it firstly
0: you mentioned uh the fact that as you got older that's when the pressure sessions became potentially more beneficial um why do you think that is and thereby what advice would you give to younger players that are looking to you know want to explore the the harder sessions in themselves but doing it in a kind of constructive and beneficial way
1: yeah it's a difficult one that because you know i've worked with some of the young england junior players when i was working with england squash and you can look at some of them now and you know i think some of them probably overdid it at an early age just because they were just so keen you know, to be successful for themselves, but to represent England. And there's obviously all these pressures of selection and funding and all this sort of thing that get thrown into the mix as well. And I think, for me, I guess I was lucky. Back then, there wasn't a lot of funding at all. So it was just about me, how much Mm. did I want to push myself. I had people around me that would push more, people that would hold me back. And, you know, I look back at those times, and I guess I was a bit lucky. I had great peers you know, I remember watching Lisa Ropie, Martine Lemoyne and Liz Irving um, and got friendly with them, went up and trained with them, saw what Liz did. And again, I'm like going, I can't do that. I mean, she was the person that was up to 20, 30 sets of 20 court sprints. That right. was the Australian <laughs> way with the 400 metres as well. I'm like, that's, that's just not me. Mm. Um, so I, I do think it's about the usual, having a good team around you, good network around you, of, of people guiding you and helping you to realise who you are and what you're capable of, right. rather than that real, well, if you want to be the best friend in the world, you've got to do this, 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 and this. Mm. It doesn't work for everybody. Mm. So it's having that support network around you and that guidance of what is the right plan of action for you.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So if we, were to, if we were to rewind a little bit back to the early days, is is kind of being a professional something that you you always wanted to be? Was it conceivable at the time?
1: Um, I was only saying this the other day to somebody. I remember being in um, school in a careers lesson and I wish, I so wish I could remember the name of this teacher because he went around the whole class and he said, right, I want everybody to tell us what you want to be when you leave school. You know, what career do you want to... And I was sat there thinking, well, I just love squash.
0: Mm. How old were you?
1: Um, What was I then? I must have been sort of 15 16 maybe
2: mm-hmm.
1: and back then every day was about going down the club um mum used to work around the bar so my brother and i would just be there all night in the weekends all day just hitting squash balls till 11 o'clock at night I, it was just i loved it
2: mm-hmm.
1: to the detriment probably of my homework but <laughs> um so he got around to me and i was just like well i just want to i didn't know you could be a professional squash player as well okay so I said, oh, I just, I just want to be a professional squash player, and he looked at me and he just went, "Don't be so ridiculous. You <sighs> need, you need to pick a proper career. You can't do that." And I was mortified. So then I just thought, "Oh God, I'm gonna have to say something now." So this just came off my tongue. I just went, "Oh, I just want to be a nurse." Then I mean, I, you know, I quite liked playing doctors and you know, I liked watching operations and stuff like that, but. With, with the way I finished the school, there's absolutely no way i was be going to medical school or anything like mm. that. So, um, yeah, but he really, he, he really demoralised me that day because I actually then thought, well, maybe you can't do that then. But I did. Hmm. So, uh, one on him. So, yeah, yeah.
0: And is, is the comment that he made a reflection of the general kind of view on professionalism with females, with women?
1: Um, I don't necessarily think it was that. I think, I think because squash wasn't really. You look at squash now; it's it's brilliant. It's over the telly. It's over the radio. It's in the papers. There's magazines. There's everything now. So, you know, it, it's come such a long way that it is now. Kids can look at that and go, "Yeah, that is something I have to do as a career." But because it was such a minority sport back then, I mean, it still is a little bit now, sadly. But it was such a, a minority sport back then. I just don't think people saw it as that, and I, I didn't really know many people who did do it. Mm. So I guess in my mind, I thought, well, maybe he's right. You you can't do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I just got lucky with a a club I used to go over and play for in Germany. I think I was about eighteen, and um, he just sponsored me to go to New Zealand and Singapore to play in the World Championships. Oh, wow. Um, and without that. <laughs> I don't really know how it would have progressed, but he got me on the on the ranking. So I went and played that. I played really well, mm. beat a top seed, and suddenly see. got quite a high ranking quite quickly. So then I thought, oh, I'm going to go and play more tournaments. Then so then mm. it was just more Europe, mm-hmm. obviously because of the expense. Um, I still didn't know then, to be honest. I didn't really think I can make a living out of it. Mm. And you know, just left school. And and I thought, well, I'll give it a go and see what happens. And luckily, my mum was extremely supportive. Still, you know, lived at home. and She helped her out as much as she could. Got a few sponsors from the club, and it it slowly grew into mm-hmm. something humongous. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I guess you've already mentioned quite a few. Um, you mentioned Ramat Khan, um, Michelle Martin, Liz Irving. I guess your parents as well. Was there a, someone that was most influential in terms of your your passion for squash and making you think that it, it could be an opportunity to be a pro?
1: Um, straight away, I still have to say my mum, just because, you know, she was a one-parent family. She had to get a second job. She drove me all over the country. She looked after me, you know, in my washing and helped me with, you know, as I got older with booking flights, did all my accounts. So she was a massive, massive um, person in my life for enabling me to have such a, a wonderful dream that came through, through for me. And so on that respect of giving me, as we talked about earlier, that, that network and that support, if I hadn't have had her and everything she gave me, I can't quite see how I could have done what i've what i've mm. managed to do uh, looking at a player wh- who would have probably inspired me the most as i started playing probably it was susan devoy
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm quite lucky because i sort of went through quite a few areas of players um i used to watch her just her true grit and her backhand drop which is one of my favorite shots she mm. just had an absolutely sensational backhand drop and maybe you know subconsciously i'd look at her and just almost want to make that happen to me and it it did Mm. become one of my best shots Um, you know she was top of the world everybody wanted to beat her nice person as well always friendly to me as i came on tour so you know someone like her is look at what she's done now she's gone to new zealand she's she does speaking i mean she's really yeah yeah she's she's really put back a lot into um sport not just squash
0: and am i right in saying that lucy Suter was playing at the same time as you was she local as well
1: yeah lucy is nine months i think older than me living in siren um so she was the person that you know was always just above me that you know she flew up the rankings i mean i think she made i think world number two and i was a slow burner whereas lucy she just flew big time So, um, you know, I was always in a shadow as well. So every time, you know, people would talk, it would be more Lucy Souter. And so I was sort of, I just trotted along nicely behind. And I ended up, okay, not making world number two, but it ended up being a full-time career for me. Mm. Um, And Lucy ended up retiring a lot earlier and and gone into, I think, dermatology at Gloucester Royal. So, yeah, I was the, the bridesmaid, I guess, in Gloucestershire for for quite a long time but maybe that inspired me more and gave me more of a challenge
0: Mm, well that that's really the reason why i brought it up is i think some kind of rivalry or certainly not being you know the best too soon can be a really healthy thing for your progression and i guess i'd just be interested in your reflections now what do you think about that rivalry how did that help to push you along or just how did it impact you in general
1: No, I agree. I look at some of the young kids coming through today and they haven't got, you know, three or four or even one person that's better than them. And they just, I think with our English players, they can sit on that and just think they're the best. And, you know, they're a long way off it because Mm. they're not getting that challenge. And I think it, for me, it was really helpful because I'd keep looking at what Lucy was doing and I would Mm. know I'm well well behind that. Mm. So it just meant I always had you know, her as a as a good goal to go, right, well, you know, mm. this is what she's doing. You, you've you got to work harder. You've got to keep hitting those squash balls and, and trying to get, you know, better results. So in a way, yeah, she got more publicity than me, but I think it helped me in the long run to have her as somebody that was as exceptional player as she was.
0: Mm. I think it forces you to, to look at yourself a bit more and identify the things that need to change. You know, because if you're not, the best then something needs to be better maybe and uh, and i can certainly relate to that too maybe not such an extensive rivalry certainly not that lasted that long i'm not sure many of them do to be honest but um yeah because i was never sort of like the best player in juniors i I always had a couple of people to look to and I, i very much modeled my game as a junior on how to sort of beat those players and it's now turned out to be one of my my biggest strengths so um i think that can be really healthy. Um so I guess before we move on to talking a bit more about your time playing the tour I'd be really interested to talk a bit more about you personally as a person growing up as a young lady Um at what point did it become sort of apparent to you you know of your sexuality
1: um not until I was probably about I think 18 and a half um before then you know infant junior school I had lots of boyfriends (laughs) and they were really good friends as well so I mean I know we were young and when when you're that young it's it's more sort of fun anyway and even that you know my earlier years on tour you know I had lots of guy friends that um I got close to and it, it didn't really come into my head at all until I was about 18 and a half and then I don't really know how or why it happened but I I've suddenly felt Um, that I had stronger feelings for a a female and it slowly took its course and suddenly became something obviously quite a lot serious Mm. and from that moment on it became something that was predominantly me even though I've had um, women in relationships within that period I've still had a few men as well so you know it's difficult I wouldn't say I'm Oh, this labelling stuff really does, I think, also affect people as well Mm. um, in the world today. Because, you know, who's to say what is gay, what is bisexual, you know, what about if it's just the person? Mm. And I think for me, I look back on my whole life of, of, you know, relationships I've had, friendships with other people, whether it be sexual or just a friendship. And for me, it's about the personality and the um how somebody makes you feel a comfort and you can trust them 100% mm-hmm.
2: um
1: and i've had that in men and women in my life you know mm-hmm. right now i'm very very happy and i've been in a relationship for um getting on for 12 years now and you know i feel like i've settled down and i know that this is this person i want to be with for the rest of my life and i'm i'm, I'm you know i'm at ease with the way my life's gone but mm-hmm. You know, looking back on it, I, I wasn't, it, it, you know, you hear some people say, oh, I knew when I was five. I was just <laughs> like, oh my God, you got to be joking. Yeah. You know, I remember being at school and I remember, you know, one of the uh, teachers, I, I used to really think she was lovely. I loved, But I never thought sexual. And that was even when I was still at school.
2: Mm.
1: And I remember one of my best friends at school, <laughs> this is terrible. I remember we were talking about, um, I mean, I hate that word lesbians. But something had, had had been said, and we were like, oh, "Oh no, yeah, yeah. Well, we hate husbands; they're horrible." And I'm going, I don't even know what that means. Why are we saying that? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I look at the world now, and it's it's come such a long way. Um, you know, and I, I think it's really helpful that some well-known people, whether it be sports people, actors, or whatever, have come out. It's been difficult for them, but I think it has helped a lot of young people or even older people who have never had the courage or the mm. support to admit to their sexuality and they're living this, you know, sadly private life and probably not been able to express themselves the way they want to. So, yeah, you know, it was a long time before I really realised that, you know, like I say, I don't just like women, I like men as well. Mm-hmm. You're all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah um it's lovely and and what i'm hearing is that it's just an ongoing process you know as you discover more about yourself do you, do you mind sort of sharing a little bit more about i guess um the thoughts and the feelings related around that early period in terms of and we were speaking before and you you said that clearly at the time it wasn't as open as as it is now um and I think just maybe the support, could you maybe just talk a little bit more about that? And, and I guess what gave you the courage to explore becoming more and more of who you truly are? Yeah. Um, it sounds like the fact that you met somebody that you had very strong feelings for helps because you, you can't really, your, your mind can't really talk you out of that as much, I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, it was um, obviously back then I had no idea how my mum was going to react even though I know my mum very very well, I didn't think it was gonna go down very well, and it didn't <laughs> and I remember I was doing the ironing one day and uh she just suddenly went right you're gonna t- you're gonna tell me about um so and so and I was just like what no what do you mean yeah we're just good friends and i it, and and I, I i luckily couldn't look at her, but I just felt like her whole body just went so hot and so tense. And I was so rubbish at lying to my mum when I was younger. She always found out. So in in my head, I'm like, "You you're stuffed now, Fee. This is all coming <laughs> out now. It, this is this is the explosion that you kn- I knew it was going to be madness." And in the end, I just admitted to it, and it was horrendous. We, okay. My mum and I, when we were younger, we was I was so tactile with my mum. We used to, we used to cuddle all the time. I mean, she she was just fantastic, and. Telling her that news that day changed our relationship for a good year. Okay. She suddenly couldn't touch me. She was repulsed by it. She just was repulsed by it. And it was, it it suddenly, my world just came crashing down because I was on tour and I'm suddenly having to deal with this. And, you know, that she burst into tears, there was shouting, there was screaming. I ran upstairs, she called her best friend, her best friend came over, came upstairs to talk to me, saying, you've got to stop this fee. And I'm like, as you said earlier on, it's like when you suddenly, at that time, think you've fallen in love with somebody, you, it's not like a light switch that you can just go, oh, okay then, I'll just turn that off. And um, my mum even made me go and see the doctor, okay. <laughs> thinking he would be able to cure me and as such and he was an amazing doctor Um, so sad I'm not with him anymore but he was absolutely superb I went to see him and he said I know why you're here your mum wanted you to come and all he said to me was you do realize you still need to be safe don't you the, the sexual side of things and um I was like "Yeah, yeah yeah and he said well you know just be careful and look after yourself and yeah. I was like oh my god he was so I don't think mum thought that that's what was going to happen, but do you know what? I, I That's why I remember it so well. That really helped me psychologically. Him saying that almost gave me the courage to go, well, he's not just gone, you need to stop this. He's mm-hmm. just gone, that's what you want to do, but just be careful. Mm-hmm. And oh, thank thank goodness that did happen. Um like I say but mum and I were really not good for over a year um if if I wanted to be with my girlfriend at the time it had to be somewhere else couldn't come and stay even though she'd been coming and staying and mum had seen her as a lovely person a friend as soon as she found out it was more than just friendship then she just completely changed, and I don't blame her for it, and that's why I've got some friends you know uh, over the years who've gone through the same thing and they they get they they get very upset about the relationship now with their parents like you you've also got to remember I know it's your life, and it's like this is what I want to be, but as much as we fought back them, my mum, she didn't get it, she didn't understand it, so it's like anything there's pointless arguing about something I've got to find out why you don't understand it, and I've got to try and f- find a way of making you not maybe totally understand it but accept that that is me and and eventually thankfully because we are so close she did and it got to the point where you know my girlfriend was allowed to come and stay in the same house in the same bed and she suddenly started being absolutely wonderful towards those you know relationships and probably saw me happy even though in the back of her mind she was still probably hoping that I would meet a man and it would change again. And right. I had, had some really good, close um, male friends, and one of them in particular, he was lovely, he came and stayed, I went and stayed with him, and we were just really good mates, but I always said from the beginning with him, we're friends, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and i never forget this as well, mum said to me one day, Fee, c- could you not learn to, to love him? And my mum was such an intelligent woman. I was gobsmacked when she said that. I said, Mum, come on. You can't learn to love somebody. It's a a natural thing that happens. Mm. And I think we had a good chat then. And I think even then, years down the line, when she was more accepting of it, I think that sort of helped her realise as well. And weirdly, she loved all her soaps. Loads of gay stuff was going on in soaps. And she was seeing it and seeing how people reacted. And I, I think that probably helped her as well.
0: Mm. Lovely. Thank you for sharing. Uh, but what was the what was the response outside of that home environment as well? And uh, what impact did
1: that have? Um, it's funny, I think mum was more worried about what other people thought. Mm. So when it started to come out at the club that I trained at, you know, again, those people had... had supported me since i was nine or ten and they were sort of family to me down the riverside at that time used to play squash and used to go to the rugby with them used to go out drinking with them you know they were just fabulous and they were so supportive and, and they were like you need to tell your mum look what a great job she's done right you know you're you're a, you're a, a lovely young lady you you're exceptional with what you're doing with your squash um and and I then sort of portrayed that to her because I think she was worried about the impact that you're saying that they would have. And they they just didn't bat an eyelid. They were just like, well, your fee, fee's fee. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter who you're with. And they, they were absolutely fantastic. And again, I look back at that and go, "How again, I know some people aren't as lucky yeah. to be in an environment to have that sort of support network around them. And they were brilliant, and as they are even today, they, you know, those people are exactly the same people that accept me for who I am, who yeah. I want to be with, and um, yeah.
0: Lovely. I guess just lastly on that, what advice or any kind of thoughts you would offer to anybody that that either knows or they're they're at least doubtful of you know where they stand. But are fearful, you know, to, to step out and, and either be who they truly are or want to explore, but they're afraid of I imagine what the people that are close to them and, and people in general will will say and think and respond to them. Yeah, do you have any any kind of advice with regard to that?
1: Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult mm. because everybody's situation's different. Mm-hmm. Um but I think if you, if you, at the end of the day you've got one life and I think if you're sure that that's the route that you want to take um, you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with other people and I think a lot of the time if you've got a real good framework around you of really good close friends and family I think they'll understand. In general they will understand and they'll be supportive and I think... It is scary when you don't know. Like I say, when I told mum, it was World War III, and I knew it would be. But we came out the other end, because mm-hmm. I know she loved me to bits, and I loved her to bits. Um, but it wasn't easy. And then I've heard other stories where people have said it, and the, the, the mum or the dad's gone, oh, that's right. I knew all along, glad you've told me. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult to give advice, because you don't know their their, their situation. But I think for them, uh, personally, if you want to really enjoy life, you need to be you. Mm -hmm. And if you're having to hide who you are, Mm -hmm. how can you possibly genuinely be happy? And so I say, you know, find somebody that you trust and you, you know that will support you to maybe have a conversation first. So they get to know maybe the people that you're worried about telling, how you might be able to address it with them but i think for me hiding anything you know it's like lying what's the point in lying it will come out so for me honesty is 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 the only way with anything in life and especially be happy because if if you don't if you don't be yourself you're probably never going to find that person that is going to be the person you want to spend the rest of your life with because you're hiding away so you can't possibly be the real true happy person that you want to be.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think just by virtue of any kind of change, whether that's being open about you know, your sexuality or, or literally just changing as a person, that's naturally going to involve some people not wanting to be a part of that anymore or not being ready for that and consequently attracting people that are more in line with who you are. And I think your par- with regard to the parents or the people that really love you, deepest or or most unconditionally i think as you said they want they just want you to see you happy and to be yourself and although that might and probably often will require some patience it's going to take time i think if you are expressing yourself as you've done in the way that is truly who you are and and you're happy because of it you can't really argue with that and just just another thought on that I'm, i'm interested to know what you think about this is i think this is kind of evident everywhere. We all kind of play certain roles and be certain people in certain situations. Or it's very easy to. And I think that can be really draining of your energy. And I think there's something so relieving and light about just being completely yourself. Did you notice that? I mean, you mentioned that you um when your mum uh, called you out when you were doing the ironing and you had this sort of hot flush and everything, once you became you know, more comfortable and at ease. Did, did that reflect in, you know, just how you interacted with the world and um I guess the squash that you played?
1: No, definitely. I do think it was a massive weight off my shoulders. I still back then knew that even on the tour or in general life, some people would um sort of be accepting of it and other people wouldn't. Hmm. I remember being at a tournament and staying with Billets. The first year I stayed there, this lady had no idea about my sexuality. The second year, I was gonna stay there, she found out, and she was so horrible to me. Wouldn't oh, have me stay, wouldn't talk to me. If she did, it was it was really unpleasant. So, as you said, the, the word patience, it will take a lot of patience. I've been chased down the street um, in Cheltenham. Wow. Walking back from a night out with my girlfriend at the time, and this guy shouted obscenity, <laughs> and my, my girlfriend at the time. This is quite funny because I was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" Turned back, told him where to go. Next thing, he's chasing us, oh, my goodness. so we're legging it down the street into um, a little coffee shop for sanctuary. And you know, I've been called loads of things over the years, and in like I say, I've, you know, I'm fifty. Oof! Um, <laughs> And it's got a lot better, but the, there will still be people out there that, you know, they're still, they don't understand. I don't think they're wrong, they just don't. For me, anything that is part of your makeup is about your genes. That's my personal understanding of, um, you know, why you like men, why like women, why you're, why you're uh, um, transvestite, all those things. Now, I remember saying, this is one of the things I said, I remember saying to my mum, mum, I didn't choose to be gay, mm. rather than gay, I didn't choose to like women and like men and whatever, I didn't choose it, why would I choose, especially back then, something that would have me being chased down the street, being abused, having to hide, why would I choose a lifestyle like that, you know, yes, if I if had just got married and had a husband and had kids, you know, I wouldn't have been abused by anybody probably. And that just shows that's how you you were made up. I used to joke to my mum as well, saying, well, you and Dad made me, so it's not my fault. It's your genes <laughs> that made me like this. So in actual fact, it's your fault, not mine. Joking. We were obviously joking.
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, this has been uh, brilliant already. Thank you so much. I feel quite uh, ridiculous going on to talk about squash now, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think it's time we kind of transition, otherwise we might well be talking for the rest of the afternoon. So thank you. No problem. We really talked about an incredibly challenging experience. Is there something that stands out that was the hardest thing that you experienced or went through as a professional player?
1: Hmm. I guess the one that really stands out, because I almost retired, because I was absolutely gutted, was the first Commonwealth Games in Malaysia. It was Malaysia, wasn't it? Yeah. And we'd had all the summer training. I knew I'd never be selected for the individual because the girls above me were um, that much better. I had Cassie, Linda Alriani, Sue Wright. So, you know, those girls were ranked above me. So I knew I wouldn't get an individual, but I was actually quite a handy doubles player. Gloucestershire has been renowned um, as I was a, growing up as a kid of and it's probably same for you, of doubles was just such a great game to play. So, you know, as a youngster, you know, I, I played so much I probably had quite a good awareness of tactically how to play. So we had a whole summer of all these squads and I remember at the end of them and they'd had a bit of a fallout with uh, Suzanne Horner from an England trip we'd been on the previous year. They'd threatened things like she's never going to play for England again and they hadn't invited her to any of the summer squads and she was ranked above me but they hadn't invited to any and so I thought you know how can they pick somebody who they haven't invited so I looked at who was there and out of the five of us that was there I thought it should be me so I thought the last squad I asked them I said "Uh, are you picking the players for the Commonwealth Games out of I think there were seven of us there. This seven there, and I knew I'd be the fifth, so I'd be the last one in. And they said yes, and I said, mm. but you're not counting anybody else that's not here. No, so that for me that was Suzanne. So in my head I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna make it, you know, first Commonwealth Games of squash, Malaysia. Yeah, I still had the doubt, but in my in my heart I'm like. I was getting excited. So anyway, waited for selection and they put a date that selection should have been made and that day came and nobody heard anything. A week later, still nobody heard anything. So then the the rest of us girls are chatting, going, what's going on? What's going on? And then uh, I've heard there's, there's some issue going on, but we don't know what. Then I get a phone call from one of the selectors of England squash at the time, basically saying, I'm really sorry to tell you you've not been selected. And I was like, Can you just tell me who has been selected then? So he he reeled off the names, and so then he said, Suzanne. So I said, well, hang on a minute. You said that, you know, you weren't selecting her because that's why she wasn't at any of the squads. Cut a long story short, she was going to sue them because she was on England funding. They didn't invite her to any squads, which they should have. If they had invited her, it would have been easy to say, well, actually, you're going to play doubles, and we think these players are better for doubles than you are. They just didn't didn't invite her
2: right
1: so um politically it was all wrong and i got the smallest of sorries i didn't even get an official letter i for me they should have been so apologetic and they weren't and it absolutely crucified and i remember coming off the phone bawling my eyes out and i just couldn't function I'd hardly train because I was just like, it was, you know, f- as as we know today, squash isn't in the Olympics, so the Commonwealth Games is our Olympics. And I remember going to a, a tournament in Egypt, and I was on there, and I just had nothing. No passion. I even hated the game that I loved so much. And I remember Sarah Fitzgerald coming in in between games, trying to... Jimia, get me going and I just I've got nothing. I was just as flat as a pancake, crying in between games. All I could think about was I haven't been selected and it was you know, the way they did it was wrong. Mm. You know, I also think the way they treated Suzanne was wrong. So um I then came home from that, I ended up going to see a sports psychologist. I think I changed coaches, I just needed if I was gonna save my career, I needed to change direction completely. And uh, I saw a psychologist at Cheltenham, a friend of a friend, and you know I don't see her very often now, but I still thank her because she was one of those people that saved me. So um, it it was it was horrendous. I think mm. it would have been better if I'd have been treated a little bit better, right, by the governing body at the time. I just felt, well, sorry, well, she's doing this, so we're gonna we're gonna have to do this type <laughs> thing. Not like, oh my God, we're so sorry. You know, this has happened. There was just no real apology, no real compensation as well for, you know, absolutely. I could have so easily just gone, can't be to squash anymore. If that's the way the way you get treated. But getting that support afterwards then suddenly gave me maybe a new lease of life. Cause I like, right, I'm going to show you lot. And then, you know, the second time it happened that they were dropping me off funding. Again, I'm like, why are you dropping me off funding? We will think you're too old. We don't think you'd be world champion. And I looked at some of the other girls around me and I went, mm, not be funny, I know you're the coaches and I'm just the player, but are you telling me, and they were my best friends at the time, I said, you telling me so and so and so and so are going to be world champions? I said, because I know they're not and you know they're not, yet you're keeping them on because they're younger than me. I'm actually ranked above them. So why am I the one being dropped? It shouldn't have anything to do with how old I am. If I'm still performing, if I can still possibly represent England, why are you dropping me? So anyway, they did. So for another year, well. and I know I've, you know, you probably had similar issues with funding and stuff like that. So another year went by, and I thought, right, again, it's like almost, you look at that, and that's why I say to kids today, if you don't get, when I worked for English Squash and I was part of Selection for England, it was the hardest thing, suddenly being a coach, to ring someone and say... Really sorry, but you've you've not made it this time. Some took it brilliantly. Some parents took it horrifically. Yeah. So it was more about how am I going to deal with this parent because they they're just going to be on my case. Others were, you know, the dream ones where they just couldn't thank you enough for selecting them. So you know, I know selection is difficult, but it just made me go right. I'm going to show you then. I am going to show you, which you shouldn't really have to do because it should be show yourself the best that you can don't do it for anybody else but a part of me wanted to not necessarily show them wanted to make them look stupid and so I had a great year and um, it came round to them selecting me for England but rather than be on funding they just paid me to play for England I would have played for nothing because putting an England shirt on my back was just for me the bee's knees and it was the same with the Commonwealth Games they brought me back on for the Commonwealth Games and they funded me for a year just to get me doing all the, the doubles camps and everything like that. As soon as the Commonwealth game was over and I'd got them two bronze medals, well, the funding's gone now. Oh, yeah. So, wow. But I always saw it as that will break some people. And some people don't get selected. And I was going back to the juniors. Some of the ones that didn't get selected, some of them then just stopped playing. And mm. I look at that and go, as a coach, you know, that was the right decision because if you're gonna just quit that quickly you probably haven't got the passion and the determination to take knocks like that and keep Mm. coming back so probably maybe you're doing the right thing by just going maybe squash isn't the thing for me or whatever sport it might be but for me i was just like well you know love the game not going to stop playing just because you're not going to fund me i'll find ways to do it
2: yeah
1: and i'll be as successful as i can
0: And so you mentioned that the physio really helped with, or the psychologist, Psychologist, sorry, is there anything that they particularly said or did that helped with you kind of reframing that failure? Because one of my, one of my questions that is kind of, it kind of ties into this is, do you have a favorite failure? Because I think over the course of a career or even a lifetime, we often get things that appear to be failures in the beginning, but tend to be some of the, or can be, some of the greatest gifts that we've ever been given. So what did the, well it didn't even have to be the psychologist, but how were you able to reframe that perceived failure in a way that was empowering, that allowed you to move forward?
1: Um, I think with her, and I went to a guy, uh, Dave Clark at the time was at Edgebaston Priory, he's in New Zealand now, so I went to him as well for a couple of times a week, and again, we just bonded so well. He The sessions I enjoyed, you know, mm. go back to what we were talking about with training, I enjoyed the things. And we did a little bit of fitness after, but it was the fitness. I enjoyed it. So it wasn't things that I hated. So he, he helped me love it again. And she did in a way that, as a youngster coming through, one of the things a lot of people, I will it will always stay in me, and I try and say it to some of the kids now, is a Fee, you don't believe yourself enough. You don't believe. And I think she helped me f- find strategies of um, refocusing on court and starting to build more confidence back on myself, which I'd lost because I'd been knocked mm. big time. Um, you know, lots of diagrams and writing things down, and because <laughs> and, um, I quite like writing notes and stuff like that. And so it played straight into my hands, and, and you know, I suddenly had. Proper strategies on court to keep me focused and to keep me enjoying things.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there one one particular one that stands out that you you'd want to share? It can be brief. I mean, it
2: no,
1: have... no, God, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> I am fifty years old now, Tom Ford. So, God, how old was I then? We're talking over twenty years ago, mate. You're Maybe trying to remember old as, as to remember. old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can. Really, really, I just okay. think for me, what really helped was. Sitting down and offloading my disappointment and my sudden lack of enthusiasm and passion for the game to somebody who was just an amazing listener mm. and, you know, as I say, help me write things down. And then to also have that balance of uh, actually getting in the car and driving to Birmingham. It mm. was actually quite nice because it was thinking time. Right. And going to see Dave and the club, obviously, I was a nice club. Met some nice people there and and I loved my sessions with him. And I think if things aren't going well for you and they're going in the wrong direction, it is about, right, you need to to change your road. Mm. I think suddenly seeing um, Abby going to Dave, it was rejuvenating. and It Mm. was almost like starting again and building on Fee as a player, as a person. And they both had Mm. a, a, a big role to play there for me, thankfully.
0: It's lovely. I I really relate to that too. And and I think it's applicable to to all of life, actually. A lot of our frustrations and things can just whirl around our head and it just kind of continually perpetuates, doesn't make you feel any better. And just, as you said, offloading, you know, and that doesn't have to be to a person. It can be writing it, but just something that gets it out of your head. I think naturally, if there's someone there to support, that will help. Um, but just that general practice of offloading all that's in your head kind of takes space to, I I believe, like, that we, we all know the answers anyway, um, inwardly. And it's often just helpful to get the all of the head stuff and the mind stuff out to kind of reveal something that's a little bit more true. So is there a moment that you would consider to be a sort of a career-defining moment?
1: Oh, blimey, a career-defining moment? Um... I guess you know if I just if you ask me that question to answer quickly about being challenged, I was playing the, was it the yeah the world championships in Hong Kong. We'd been somewhere close by before, and just so this is back in the day, right? When um, yes, we were professional. We did train, but once you'd lost back then, because it wasn't as professional as now, uh, everyone went out and yeah. partied. So I've been, again, through those eras of where it was great fun. You played, you partied to the point where it was, well, no, we don't go out anymore now until you've gone home and it's someone's birthday or something like that. So the, the partying came to a, a abrupt halt. But anyway, so we're playing this tournament. This is not the way to behave. Young children are wanting to be <laughs> professional squash players. So I'd lost and we'd all gone out, had a few orange squashes, mm-hmm. and I fell from a quite a big height of marble stairs and I fell and I remember from this um, junior camp I'd gone on years ago of judo, the only judo session I ever had about how you slam your hand down to try and break your fall. Oh, okay. So I was so worried about my neck and my back, I slammed my hand down to try and um, stop the impact being so bad on the rest of my body and didn't feel any pain because I'd had too many orange juices. <laughs> And uh, I woke up the next day, I was like, oh my God, my right hand, it was swollen and it was so sore. I think I was sharing with and Fitzy and I, and I said, oh God, I need to go, I think I need to go to the hospital. So we went, and the doctor actually looked at it and he went, yeah, you, you've you got a stress fracture in, in the inside of your hand under my thumb. And uh, I said, well, <laughs> what does that mean? Can I still play squash next week? It's the world <laughs> open. He went, nah, I don't think so. And I was like oh my god, so I'm looking at her, and he goes, I can put a cast on, and I went, and she's looking at me going, no, don't, 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 and I didn't know what she was getting at, I said, okay, no, no, don't, don't do that, so <laughs> we left, and she's going, look, just rest it and see how it goes, don't tell anybody, and uh, you never know, you might be able to get through around. who knows, so I so, said, okay, so turn up at Hong Kong, and I only practiced with her because she was the only one who knew. Yeah. So we had to adapt our practices, and it was really weird. I could I could hit I could hit a backhand quite well with enough pace. I couldn't hit the ball hard on forehand. Can't hit the ball hard on forehand anyway. <laughs> but I really couldn't hit it hard. So we adapted our practices, and, and it was funny. We were practicing, and we were. It was funny because we were both cracking up, laughing on court because we we're like nobody's got any idea that every time I hit a forehand, it's soft. It's because I do play quite soft anyway. So yeah. it sort of worked. I ended up, this is ridiculous, I ended up making the semi-finals of the World Open. What? <laughs> you know? That's amazing.
0: I was wondering where that story was going know, to begin my, with. So I
1: won, who was the first one, I think I had an English girl, and she nearly had me, one of the young girls coming through, 3-2, I just beat this girl called Tracy Shenton, And I was so sore afterwards. Mm. So I had an ice it, whatever, and still keep, you know, not do anything that I'd go, like that, so nobody knew. Can't remember I played second. Then I played Suzanne, in the mm. quarters on the glass court. Somehow got through that. So it's and I are cracking up. Like, okay. I can't believe you're doing that. And of course then who was I playing the semis? Fitzy. So uh. like, oh, well <laughs> That's You know, I can't beat it when I'm haven't got a, a stress fracture in my hand, let alone when I'm fit and healthy. <laughs> and so do you know what? It was a really lovely match because, yeah. you know, we were great friends on and off court anyway. But I look back on that and go, you know when people say, oh, I don't feel very well, or I've got a bit of an injury, I've got this, it's like, you know what, just go for it. Yeah. Go for it because nobody else knows and you can hide illnesses or injuries unless it's ridiculous you've broken a leg or something. Mm-hmm. But I found a way to get through that and I look back on that and go, you know, semi-finals of the worlds, and I had a cracked bone in my in my playing hand. Mm. And I went back home, went to the, the hospital he wanted to put a cast on it. I said, oh, God, no, please, please, because I still want to be able to do ghosting. How is this as well? He said, no, I know what you squash players are like. I said, what, do you know any squash players? Oh, yeah, I remember Jonah Barrington. He'd broken something and we'd said, we'd put a cast on, and he said, no, I promise not to do any training or something like that, and he, he continued and made whatever it was worse. Mm-hmm. I said, I promise you, I, honestly, I promise you, Because I thought I can't ghost with this massive cast on my hand. Because I knew Mm. i like I can still keep fit with Mm. this. And uh, he made me promise, and I said, No, I honestly, I promise you, I won't, I won't hit balls or do anything. And I didn't. And it was. He said six to seven weeks, and he was right. And then it was, I was was back hitting the squash ball. That's awesome. I love that story. I do. I look back at that because I just find it. So you know, Sarah and I used to every day would crack up because we're like nobody knows. If they did know, they would be hammering me on my Mm. forehand. But you know, we just kept it quiet, and it just shows as well. You know, I've I've actually played one of the most intelligent games of squash for three matches because I had that. I had to, I had to go into completely. I think tactically, I played quite well anyway, but it just took me to another level because I had to be so wary of what the limitations I had on my forehand. You know, amazing.
0: Maybe this is reflective of your time at the World Open as well, but can you kind of capture um, the feelings and, yeah, really just what it feels like and your ideal kind of mindset, state of mind, state of being when you were performing at your best, you know, at the height of your career, in that tournament, whatever? What does it look like? What does it feel like?
1: Um, I was never relaxed, now that you've asked that (laughs) question. You know, you're supposed to go, you're supposed to love it, it's great, isn't it? But, I don't know, I think, you know, in, in a way it's good to be nervous, it's good to have pressure, but it's obviously how you control those two things. But the only time I would properly relax, and it didn't happen very often, is when I actually won the tournament, because then you can actually sit back and go, "Oh, whew, beating everybody, there's my trophy, there's my cheque. Like I say, it didn't happen that often. And one of the, you know, going back to what you're saying, what stands out for you, when I went and uh, started coaching in New York... The first two years, I still played a few tournaments, only in the states because you know I couldn't go be away for too long from the club. Um, and again, I played some of my best squash then because I was relaxed. I had no money worries because right. I had a regular check coming in every month. And I remember playing um, a gold tournament, made semis, beat I think who's gonna be uh, Vanessa Atkinson, Natalie Granger. I mean, I was struggling beating those girls when I was full time. Right. And I was travelling back on the train, going and doing some coaching. (laughs) Next day, going back to play the tournament because I was just so relaxed. Then I entered the tournament in Florida and uh, the draw came through, and I was like, oh my God, number one seed. Couldn't remember the last time I was the number one seed. Mm -hmm. So I'm now playing for enjoyment because I've got a job, but all of a sudden, all those fears and panic. Suddenly came rushing to hmm. me because I'm like, oh my god, you're number one seed, and that's one thing I try and say to people now: forget about what your seed is, because if you if you let it get to you, and I did let that get to me too much, ended up playing Lauren Briggs in the final. You know, good friends, so you know we were even staying in the same place with each other, and I managed to scrape through three two. Did I enjoy the match? Not at all. Hmm. I hated. It. <laughs> Part of me hated it because I'm like going oh my god, you never number one seed, and I really wanted to win it, so I had that difficult thing of, i never number one seed, I haven't won a tournament in donkey's years and mm-hmm. it would be so nice to win one and I finally sat on the plane to, to fly back to New York and I managed to give myself a smile and a pat on the back and go, wow, i just won a <laughs> tournament, I haven't won one for so long, <laughs> oh, I've got to go back to work tomorrow, Yeah, you know, so.
0: So what's the message there, because I'm, I'm hearing that you played some of your best squash when you were relaxed and having fun, yeah. And some of it on the tour, where it's probably harder to do that because you know you, it's a bit more all-encompassing. But you also played; you got to world number five, you know, playing. So what's what's your kind of thoughts around that? Um, in terms of, I guess, yeah, advice or thoughts for for other people.
1: Um, yeah, again, I still think it depends on the individual, but um, I think I'd also say. I think some people can get almost too intense and engrossed in being a professional and doing minute by minute what you know what you should be doing and forgetting downtime, relaxing time, go and have a bit of fun time. And I think if you don't get that balance right, I feel that's how the pressure builds in you because you're like, well, hang on a minute, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing and I'm still not winning. And it's, it's for me, like I said, I was a slow burner as as a youngster and I took my time with things. I was still really good. I missed loads of parties when I was at home training because I'm like, well, no, tomorrow I've got to go and do this and I'm not letting anything affect that. But then when you've planned your week out or your month out or your year out, making sure there's times where you do. I remember um, was it Peter Nichols said the same thing towards the end of his career mm. I think he said he started chilling a bit and having a bit more fun and he said it was so much more enjoyable <laughs> but it's but it's getting the balance right as I said I'm not saying to do it the way we did when we were when I first went on tour you know Rodney Martin, Chris Dittmar, Tristan Ankara, Michelle, Liz, Sarah you know we'd all go out at tournaments after we finish and get absolutely smashed but then you went straight back into training, but then as you as it became more of a profession, you then didn't so I'm not saying go out and do it loads, but you know, unwind because otherwise you just become in this bubble of pressure and intensity and you know, I, I don't think that's healthy.
0: Mm-hmm. And there are there are loads of ways to unwind as well, right? I think mm. you maybe only feel like it needs to be as extreme as, you know, going absolutely crazy on a night out if you've been so extreme on court or in your training. So I think just finding any kind of balance of doing something different, relaxing, rest in general, I think is is a really key important of training. Mm. You know, that I think mm-hmm. is very, very often overlooked. Um, okay, so At what point did... I mean, you've already mentioned that you you went to New York to coach, but at what point, sort of, when you were playing, did thoughts of retirement and and that side of things start coming in?
1: Um, I have to thank Julian Wellings for that, because he was the director of squash at the Heights Casino in New York at the time. So it was... Oh, God, what year was it now? I'm so rubbish with years. Anyway, so it was just before the summer break, and um, I was just flicking through the squash magazine, and I saw... Haiuxino were looking for a a, a squash coach to be a part of their team, and I was starting to think I was really struggling with making ends meet, going on tour, having to most of the time at that point fund myself with all these flights to Singapore, Hong Kong, America, everything, and then I was starting to not make quarters and semis, so my expenses were starting to get a little bit high. Obviously, got a house as well, so. I was suddenly starting to think, oh, I need to start thinking about this. And I thought, oh, so, oh, I, I might just email Jules. So I emailed him and said, well, what's this job all about? And he just said, when's a good time to call? We need to talk to you. So I said, oh, right, well, here's my number. So he called me and he said, um, look, you know, we didn't say we wanted a male or a female. But in fact, we, we do want a female. And um, I'd quite like you. And I said, we haven't, even, <laughs> we haven't even interviewed or anything. He said, no, no. I said, oh, God, Julian, I said, you put me on the spot now. I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking properly about retiring or semi-retiring. And he sa- I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going on holiday tomorrow for two weeks. He says, right, go on holiday, sit on the beach, chill, relax, and just think about it. And when you come back, give me a call. Mm. He said, I won't op- offer it to anybody else. I it's okay, so I was on holiday, and I was still thinking about it. I was like, oh, my God, you know, Phew, I don't know if I can do that. Just up sticks, go and live in New York. Don't know anybody apart from him people I used to stay with when I used to go and play the tournament there and like the way I am normally I don't necessarily think too long about things okay. yeah. so I thought about it for a little bit again oh yeah so it's a bit like when I did a bungee jump oh just drove past one day and like they do a bungee there I might do that tomorrow yeah. and I did <laughs> um so um that's great. I rang him and said I you... well yeah I said can I still play tournaments he said yeah no it's fine still play a few I said okay so they helped sort my visa out. So that was in, I think, May-ish of whatever year it was. And then by September of October that year, I was on a plane over there, mm. crying my eyes out saying goodbye to my mum. Wow! And then it all started over there. Mm. But it was nice that they let me still play because I wasn't quite ready to just completely... So for the first year, even though I coached so much, I couldn't train like I normally did. I still managed to play a few tournaments, and then the training was taking a bit of a backseat because I was I was doing so many lessons. So I did the tournaments, I think, for like another maybe year, and then I'm like, that's enough now. Because I, I still I think I was still top 18 in the world with a full time coaching job, and I'm like, I, I I think I think that's it. I don't wanna get injured. I don't want to start losing to people. I shouldn't be because I knew every time I was playing people, they were like. They, want, they wanted me because mm. they knew I wasn't playing full-time.
2: Sure.
1: So, And so I was so lucky to officially retire exactly when I wanted to because a lot of people mm. haven't had that luxury with injuries.
0: Yeah. yeah, it seems like quite a nice transition. I'm curious, though, was it not like too much squash? Did you not find at the end of playing that you maybe wanted a complete break altogether? Or did you not? Sort of feel like you wanted to jump ship at any time and do something else, or how how are your feelings around that?
1: Um, I think because I I suddenly got on a plane and my job was in New York. All oh, my friends are like, "Oh my god, can I come yeah. stay? Can I come yeah. stay?" Um, so suddenly I became the, the the popular friend. Um, <laughs> but I think because it was somewhere so amazing, mm. I think it and it was completely different to coaching so many different standards as well and the coaching team there was quite big and they were great and it became a family that club was amazing Mm. those four years i had there was four of the best years of my life Wow! so lucky because when i first went julian said yeah we've got about 180 kids here coaching i was like going oh my god because i hadn't really done loads of group coaching as well and i had to learn all these kids names so it was a bit daunting but again, you know, sometimes throw yourself into the deep end. You know, that was hard leaving New York. You know, I remember trying to give my speech and I struggled. I was crying all the time because, you know, like I said, they're like family. They, like the, eventually, my main place where I stayed was in a, a, a big townhouse and the people were from the club. They gave it to me on a nice little deal. I had the key to their house, could use their washing machine. They'd open the door, the dog would come up, scratch on the door, let the dog in, I'd look after the dog. Huh. So it was like having another family, mm. you get invited to all these beautiful summer houses and they just made you part of the family. So again, I think I was lucky to have got a job in a club that was so family orientated and so mm. welcoming. It was fabulous. And I, got, I almost got to spend more time with my best friends because... They'd come over and stay, and <laughs> you know it would be it would be awesome.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And how did you find the transition from playing to coaching? Because as as a player, you're very kind of self focused, and as a coach, you you can't be as much you you're, you're giving to somebody else. Was that was that something that came naturally to you?
1: I think so because I think I wanted to. I, I think the, the difference as well is when you go and coach in New York there's not really many players that want to go and be a professional squash player it's about making them the best that they can to get into Ivy school right. Ivy colleges or whatever so it's not as intense as it would be say okay. when I work for England squash Um he's like right you've got to get these players good and whatever because they need to be represented in England now is yes like- <laughs> you've got one year to yeah. make Tom Ford like that I'm like oh my god right okay so so um, so it was chilled, it was relaxed. Okay. And a lot of the other the other thing that was so good about it is some of the kids were so laid back that it wasn't um stressful or pressurizing okay. at all. Great. You know, but some of them I could you know, most of them are quite lazy sometimes. So <laughs> I'm like, Come on, let's go, let's go, come on. You know, no yawning in my lesson, otherwise is 10 courts for instance. So it, it was fun. So I think I was lucky as well that I went from playing into trying to make youngsters better. And I still had some older guys, got into hardball doubles, loved that. So once the playing career had gone, I then went on the doubles tour with one of the coaches from the club. Okay. And we became national champions. Oh, wow. So that was fabulous. Loved that game. So again, I think it just, that job... Ended up okay. You know, have a few stresses with some things, but it was fun. Mm. I could walk to the club. I could get on the subway going to Manhattan, and you know, it was. I think when you talk about transition, it wasn't like I was just going down the local club here and I'm still in the same city, yeah. town, whatever. Yeah. is it like, Where are you? Oh, we're in New York now. What we doing there? You know, mm. what a great place to
0: True.
1: transition. So yeah,
0: and and I'm curious, did how did the kids improve based on that approach? Did you notice, I mean, naturally with that many and, you know, with their intentions, they might not improve as quickly, but did you find that some actually improved a lot with that approach compared to, you know, sometimes if you're trying to force it under time pressure?
1: Um, Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of it as well with some of them were probably pressurised by parents to play. And you soon worked out which ones they were. So for me, mm. I was like, right, I need to make this fun. I need to make them want to keep coming back. They're probably not going to get a lot better, but are they enjoying themselves? Yes. So, you know, it's, it's still a, a life skill for them that yeah. they could still end up playing squash later on in their lifetime because they see it as a fun thing. And then there were a few that really did want to get better. So I had a nice balance. Obviously, Hayley Mendez, who... who um, I coached as a youngster there. Who's now on the tour, training a little bit here at Chantem with Nathan, and so it's great when she came over and said, "Oh, can can we get on court?" Because mm. she was one of the ones that stood out back then, even though she knew she was going to Harvard, but she was really passionate about mm. being the best that she could on the squash court. So I still had, you know, a couple of them that she stood out, but a long way. But there's still had a few of them that could then make me change into, right, I can really I can really do some work with this person here and, and make some real changes to their game and to their technique. But the rest of them, it was about getting them fitter, getting them a little bit better, getting them good enough to get into a good college, but still making them love the game. And I had, good, I had a good, fun team to work with. You know, if we had groups, there would be two of you. So I had John Russell. Um, so that was always challenging with even him, if anybody remembers John Russell great guy and then Laurent and Rianni. so you know I had great coaches to work with as well so you Mm. weren't just doing it on your own so you had good banter going on with them while you're coaching these kids.
0: Mm. So I mean you've been coaching now for for hundreds of years since then. God am I
1: reincarnated? (laughs) Have I come back to life? (laughs) Um,
0: What has being a coach taught you?
1: I, I really... I'd love being a squash player, but I've loved being a coach because it's really taught me, like, like you were saying earlier when you're a player, even my partner said you're selfish, but not in a horrible way. I can see why you're selfish on some things because you had to be when you're on tour. You had to be. And then becoming a squash coach, I think it's really helped me to really try and understand the person that's on the court with me. Yeah. What makes them tick? How am I going to get the best out of them? You know, if they're tired, what can I do to find them some energy? And working personalities out. I did, uh, thankfully, Keir Wirth, when I was working in the squash, sent me on an NLP course. At first I thought I was going to hate it, I didn't like it. I was not happy with him. But <laughs> it was one of the best courses I've ever been on. There were oh, a few wow. weird things in there. But it not only helped me as a coach to understand my player, and what strategies I can do to help get the best out of them. But more importantly, it helped my relationship at home. Right. Of Different ways of of approaching maybe a a possible argument that's coming or a difference in opinion of just going, hang on a minute, that's their opinion. Let's work out why that's their opinion or why they think this mm. and, and and bring it into a, a nice understanding p- between two people and just being able to help, and also not just, you know, especially now I've left England Squash, and I've been working on it for myself for two, almost two years now, I've had some real little young people, I've even got a couple of special needs kids as well, um, really challenging, and I've got to suddenly be a completely different person, so mm. I like that, I like, you know, people say, oh, you, you look young for age, that's because I'm a child inside <laughs> still, which is great, but, you have some lovely comp- compliments off parents with the young kids saying, you know, you're not just a squash coach, you're becoming a life coach to mm. those kids as well. Totally. And I've, I've really loved that. I've loved working with the elite. You know, I've loved working with the, the top guys and girls and going to Delhi with, as a coach for Commonwealth Games. But that time came to an end and I love doing all the elite stuff. And it's really nice now. To be a bit more relaxed and be able to love my dog. That's starting to wake up. Um, hopefully, I'll keep quiet. Um, but yeah, it's. I feel relaxed now. There's no pressure on. Yeah, I want these kids to get better, or even just some of the club players that have come to me just club sessions. Oh, fee, that's really helped me do that. And so I think it. You know, I think I'd, I've loved the fact now I've come full circle and. I'm able now to help people not just get better, but show respect. That's the biggest thing for me on the squash court. Respect, and I learned that as a kid, getting told off by Rammer a couple of times for not being respectful to the person I was on court with. So, um, you know, if, if if I'm on court with any of my youngsters who are being a little bit disrespectful, there's plenty of times that they'll, right, end of session, what? That's the end? No, if you're going to be able to like finished. not having coaching next week. When you can learn to behave, then we'll go back on. And I I learned that myself the hard way as well. So they think they've got one on me. They haven't because I've been there and done it.
0: I'm really interested to know what you think about, because I think it can be a really useful balance for when you're playing as well. That's something that I've noticed, is it's lovely to just kind of take that step away out of yourself. I'm not saying like become a full-time coach, but to do like a little bit of coaching can actually be a very healthy thing for you as a player too would you agree with that
1: oh yeah definitely because I think also that first year in New York because I was hitting more balls than I normally would do my ball control got even better and also when you're talking tactics with them as well it made you then start thinking about your own game as well yeah you know so it it sort of helped in both ways helped you help them as well Mm.
0: Yeah, and and for me, it it just reminds me of how passionate I am about the game. It's lovely to share that with someone, and, and 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 yeah, literally share it in terms of sharing your own passion, but them sharing it with you too. I think that's a that's a really lovely thing to do.
1: I th- yeah, I agree. And I think when I've been trying to get somebody to improve on a particular shot, I think I get more excited than they do when mm. they do it. I'm like, yes, mm, yeah. and they look at me like a little bit mental. <laughs> And I'm like, that's exactly it. Look, I told you you could do it like that. And that's just, as a coach, that's the, the best feeling ever, mm. you know? It really is.
0: And is, is there a moment that gives you the most joy to think about from being a coach?
1: A moment? Would you mean, what?
0: Is there just a moment throughout all the times that you've coached? Yeah. Or like a, a, a story or an experience, yeah, that gives you the most joy to think about from being a coach?
1: one of the first ones when I first started working with the squash we had the Europeans Poland and it came down to the final and it was one all Matt Sidaway was going on for the last one and it was between the night before it was between do we select him or another guy called Niall and we decided with who we who we was going to play and we went with Matt and in my head I'm like God please please let this be the right decision my first proper going away with the kids England we Mm. haven't lost this event for years goes to five i mean it was brutal you know when you're talking about you love it but at that moment i was hating it as well and um and he managed to win Mm. i've never been so relieved in all my life (laughs) but as a coach you know i couldn't have been more happy with him as a player because he did exactly what we thought he could do we knew Mm. he he could grind it out and we knew he would just give it his all and he did Mm. and he, he got us the result so it was that. There was also Tori Temple Murray winning the uh, European Under Nineteens. Okay. you know, done a bit with her, and again, that was lovely. Even Haley back in America was national champion, and we'd worked really hard for that. And again, you know, when you see the players that you've worked with suddenly do something really successful, something that they've wanted and they've been working so hard for, and you've done it as well, and they finally get it, I think I've almost got more enjoyment. That way, rather than when I did well or won something, because you're helping somebody else with their own dream, you know. Mm. So it's really rewarding.
0: Mm. Should we just we just let him roam? It's fine. Oh, is yeah, it's that? yeah, fine. He'll probably like the he'll probably just lie down if he's a... Uh,
1: Charlie the uh, scruffy uh, cockapoo. He just wants it, he wants the attention, his doesn't
0: his he? <laughs> Slumber. I want to play. He's been good up until now.
1: What do you mean up until yeah. now, he's still good. Isn't he? <laughs> anyway.
0: But um, but yeah, that I think that just really, really resonates with me that oftentimes the most joy can actually come from helping someone else or from shining a light or seeing someone else succeed. I think that's a really nice um balance to kind of look for. So I guess based on all of what we've spoken about, you know, your experiences as a player and as a coach, what are the, the three, doesn't maybe have to be three, but what are the top things that you would... Say to yourself
1: um, or just always en- enjoy what you're doing, yeah, can't you can't you can't succeed in everything unless you're happy, same with kids at school, you know they'll excel in certain subjects because they like it and they're happy um to get as much information from as many coaches and people as possible, you know, because not one way suits everybody. And I think I did that as well. I had, I wouldn't say loads of coaches, but I had input from quite a few. And it was nice to get different ideas from people. So there's nothing wrong with moving away from a coach. doesn't mean to say you don't contact them anymore, but it's just to sometimes keep things fresh. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as things start getting stale, change, make a change. Um, And I think the other biggest thing is having a support network around you as well. You know, when I was on tour, I think it was I was lucky again to make sure I had a few people that I knew I could trust. I could tell them anything, and when you're on tour, it can be, as you know, quite a, a lonely place. Mm-hmm. And I made some good friends, and I had lots of people I could trust, and I didn't feel alone. Um, so having that support network network around you is is definitely important. Brilliant.
0: Okay. So, just a final few questions really there there'll be a little bit more quick fire, but there's no there's no huge rush okay um so, what percentage in your opinion of success on the world stage is related to the mind and it's quite quite a nebulous question, but I'm just very intrigued to kind of see what mm. what different figures people put on it
1: yeah massive I remember. Semi-finals, British Open in Cardiff. Went to warm up lights. It was brilliant, really good. Um, the way they set it up, and I was playing Fitzy again. And I remember looking across the arena at her, and she was one of the most strong-minded players, hence her success. And I looked into her eyes, and I was just like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> I could tell mentally she was stronger than me. I could tell it. And that's terrible to say that, isn't it? And I do think. You know, when I said about believe and all those sort of things, so I, I put the men- mentality side of it uh, uh, up into the good seventy eighty percent.
0: And all of the mental skills that we can acquire, what do you believe is the most important?
1: Um, God, it's a bit of a hard one. Isn't mm. it? mental skills
0: mm, so like focus determination present moment awareness or emotional control thanks for the I don't want uh, to put thanks, words that's in that's good manner.
1: keep going keep going <laughs> god um, what do I think is the most important focus is a bit wishy-washy isn't it really because you didn't say that to anyone oh focus mm, um, well, sometimes
0: um, the simpler things are the hardest true. to master aren't they
1: yes okay Mr. Ford <laughs> um, I I'd sort of do determination slash attitude as a as a double, because I think, as I've spoken about attitude before, um, attitudes, um, if you haven't got the right attitude, you're not going to succeed, because you, 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 that de- determination comes in there big time as well. How much do you really, really want it? We can all say, I want it. I wanted it. But mm. I didn't want it as much as Fitzy did. Yeah. So I should have said to her, how are you doing that? Mm. Yeah.
0: And do you think that's something that is just innate or something that we can develop and work on over time? It's a skill that we can train.
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think some people have got it more a bit like a start of play. You know, some people are more creative and flary. Some people are more physical. And then you, you try and build those other... You know, if you if you're a physical player, you've got to build in your short game and being creative. If you like, for me, you know, I, I didn't like long rallies, but I still had to be fit enough to be able to. If it is going to keep coming back to me, I need to get mm. I need to be able to endure that as well. Sure. Okay. Did I answer the question? Yep. Did
0: I? <laughs> <laughs> What's a habit or practice that you do daily or consistently that contributes to your inner? well-being and health
1: um well right now walk the dog <laughs> okay um uh, yeah. no seriously yeah, that, that can yeah. it really it's forced me to relax
2: mm.
1: because I, I like to be a busy person even though i'm you know I'm part-time now i still do a lot around the house and stuff so you know taking him out and this sounds a bit corny but you know i'm looking at flipping birds now mm. and walking over okay. the forest and stuff like that and talking to people loads of people and it's it's it sort of sets me up for the day mm. but it's just like there's no rush fee you know as i was in the supermarket the other day and this guy was trying to help his wife out. she'd obviously got some kind of disability and he's like oh god sorry sorry. i said oh my god just take your time i said sunshine it's a beautiful day but that's because you know my life isn't manic anymore i'm still busy busy but I think, again, you know, look at life and people just are on edge and are just rushing around like lunatics. I know mm. some people got a lot to do, but it's not the end of the world, is no. it, to yeah. be rushing about? And it, and it doesn't
0: have to be something that takes very long for you to give yourself a tiny little bit of space to yeah. see that either. I think, yeah. I think for me, the consistency is important, and whatever works, like if it's walking the dog, then yeah. great. Yeah, Something that kind of zooms your lens out a little bit helps you see a bigger picture so what's uh, what's most important for you now what what drives you now
1: um what drives me now i just you know i've got a nice amount of coaching at the club sort of between 10 and 15 a week and now i've had that consistency with those players because it's been 2 years you know is seeing those youngsters grow because, you know, they're like eight, nine or ten. So now they're starting to, to grow and they start to play better. Their personalities are changing. So it's just that continuation of knowing I can still be there for them and, and see their goals change and, you know, their lives change. So, you know, for me, I'm still loving that, being a part of the club and, and supporting those kids and, as I said, adults down there. And... You know life's changed a bit. Mum died last September, so I'm still dealing with that. Mm. It's have good days, bad days, but um I am happy, but i've got to, I've just got to slightly recalibrate a little bit now because mm. that part of my life's gone sure, and it's you know it's 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 I'm getting over it a bit, but you don't completely get over it but I still feel then I've got a bit of a void there, so and still things to sort out with that. So I know things are going to change again. Mm. Not quite sure how, but, you know, things will change again. So it's it's just... It's been quite a bit of a manic few years with the mum side of things Been quite stressful. So now it's completely gone. Although it's calm, it's suddenly going, oh, God, I'm not waiting for the phone to ring all the time and it's the the doctor or the ambulance or the hospital or whatever. And that's why... I, i got charlie or we Mm. got charlie so i've got a little something to be with me all day
0: great okay well just before we go on to the final sort of question
1: is that going to be the worst um, question at all at the end no. it's
0: just like a it should just be (laughs) off the cuff um who's your favorite football
1: team oh (laughs) liverpool yeah yeah. they did well uh, they did didn't
0: they um, I just, yeah, just want to thank you again. Really, I, I know I've said it a few times already, but thank you for well, for trusting me to come on, and uh, and so sort of openly and vulnerably sharing your story. I think that's how it can really make the biggest difference. And and I I'm sure that even if this impacts or helps one person, as I'm sure it would, it you've done a, a brilliant job. So. Thank you. I appreciate
2: it, really.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, I've never sat down and been that open with anybody that I know now that's going to go out to people. Yeah. So, you know, it's a new experience for me. And and as you say, I I hope that, you know, everything I've talked about somewhere, somebody, you know, will find the benefit of it.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. And if anyone does have any questions or wants to reach out, is there a way that we can follow you or, or do that?
1: Um, yeah. Can we do it through you first? We, c- we
0: could do, yeah. But do you have, like, a social media or something like that? Oh, no, or? I don't,
1: I'm not keen on all that stuff, to be honest. Yeah, I don't blame you. there's just too much rubbish on there and yeah. and it's caused a lot of issues and problems for people. So I'd rather, I'd rather... Th- this sort of thing, I'd rather do it sort of more privately than okay. the whole world right. yeah. seeing it. If you know what I mean. Got
0: it. Absolutely. Okay. okay. So if anyone has any questions, they can reach out to me, and I'll I'll forward them on. Yeah. That'd okay. Be good. Yeah. And do do you have like a book recommendation or something for oh, for any cool. of the listeners?
1: Oh, book recommendation. I've got loads ready to read. Loads. Quite like Andre Agassiz. Well, I read that years mm. ago because his again his isn't the normal I loved tennis and I went and I did this and I became successful there's part of him that hated tennis mm. and just the sort of battles he had to go through so I couldn't put that book down it was an mm. absolutely awesome book to read
0: it's, it's very open it's, it's called Open isn't it I think
1: it's, it, oh God, mm. I can't remember now. it's such a long time but yeah, yeah but I, I you know God, we read so many books so for me to suddenly go you put me on the spot and go but I always say to people, Andrea's At- book At- mm. is just awesome.
0: Great. Okay. So, final little phase of questions. I'm what? just gonna you just say said that was the
1: last question just now. I mean, now you're telling no, me it's well, a pain. It, that is of a question.
0: Right, I'm trying on. to figure out how to like frame it. But anyway, so I'm gonna say uh, the start of the sentence, and you're just gonna finish it, preferably. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you ready? Oh
1: yeah, yeah, you get me nervous now, okay, go on. we'll go take on. a breath. Yeah.
0: Okay, success is?
1: Um, ach- achieving what you set out to do.
0: Failure is?
1: Failure is? Not completing the task you put out in front of yourself.
0: Squash is? My passion. My vision is?
1: My vision is to improve as many of the players I work with as possible.
0: It all comes down to?
1: Enjoyment and being happy.
0: Okay, thank you, Fee. Is that it? Are you going to yeah. come up
1: with a spring wee with a no, no, phase that. of questions? We're, we're all, done. We're all so,
0: done. So thank you, Fee, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, if you did enjoy this conversation, then please reach out to me. And, and if you have any questions for Fee, then I can also put them across to her. I'm sure she's, she's more than happy to, to help with that. Again, if you're enjoying these conversations in general, then please subscribe or follow the page and share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think would find this beneficial and interesting. So in the meantime, have a great week and I'll catch you with the next one.